Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Screen Nerds Podcast. My name's Michael Burgett, and thanks for joining me for this quick screen episode of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, the sixth film in the Harry Potter series. Now, uh, as you uh, have known if you've been keeping up with this uh, podcast series, I have never seen these films. I have never read the books, and so I am flying blind into... Uh, this story and so coming in uh, to it I had the only expectation I had for it was uh, talking with a friend who said this was his least favorite uh, of the series and so going in I had kind of tempered expectations as to uh, well this is not going to be very good (laughs) and having watched the film I just finished it and it wasn't bad, but it definitely wasn't good. It was very disjointed. I think that's the best way to describe this film. It's very disjointed. There's there's a lot of questions that the film asks. And considering that essentially... We're getting to the very end of the story. Um, granted, they split the seventh book into two parts, but when you have what is essentially the next to last story, a lot of it just just doesn't make sense to me. And maybe in the context of the books, it makes more sense. Uh, but if you're if you're just one that's just watching the films. Uh, this film in the place that it, it's in and the narrative that it tells to me just kind of left me confused at times because it, there were parts of the narrative that would uh, speak to th- this particular story as well as the entire uh, narrative. And then there would be parts where it would not speak to it at all. Like they would, it would just be like big gaps or questions or uh, just things that just wouldn't make sense as to why uh, some things were asked and answered and some things weren't. Um, and I felt like that coming out of this film, uh, there was a lot of that. So uh, I jotted down some notes. And the first thing was it was a very weird starting point. Like, I don't know if if it was starting off immediately after the last film uh, I I assume that the scene with Harry and Dumbledore and the picture being taken, that's at the, essentially was the end of the last film. And, but there was really no understanding to that. There was the whole thing of uh, Lucius Malfoy being sent to Azkaban because in the previous film, he was barely in it. And then all of a sudden off screen, he gets arrested and sent to Azkaban. And there was, I mean, that was kind of confusing. I mean, I understand why it sets it up because it sets up Draco as essentially going down the path to becoming a death eater and, and following his father's footsteps, essentially. But it just seemed kind of weird, especially when he never really, 
he being Lucius, never was really used as a main, quote-unquote, main villain. And I feel like that that felt like a wasted opportunity because that character, and Jason Isaacs, who's a really good actor on top of that, but it just it feels like a waste. Um, now, I, I do like Helena, Helena Bonham Carter in the role that she has, uh, and I, I mean, she got a much more larger role in this film uh, with her character um, as kind of sort of the big bat. And that's the other thing that's kind of weird is there's not necessarily a big bad. Uh, like it's just always looming. Like it, it almost feels like this film is a lot more, uh, exposition to an extent. Uh, even though you don't, you don't have Voldemort here, you have, uh, Tom Riddle, uh, but you, you never see Voldemort and considering in the previous two stories, uh, it was very heavy on Voldemort to then turn around and then have right before the end, no Voldemort essentially was kind of weird. Um, and you really didn't have a big bad, but you, you had kind of the death eaters as sort of the big bad, um, but not anything to an extent of which, uh, there was any kind of fight or battle or anything like that, especially coming off of the last film where you had kind of that epic battle of sorts. Um, but again, it's that, that kind of felt disjointed. Um, and also the whole thing with Snape and his story. Now it was kind of weird that it was shoehorned in at the end that he was the half blood prince, uh, which I don't know in the books, if that's supposed to be like this big epic drawn out, uh, story of who the Half-Blood Prince is, but it feels like in this film, it's kind of, you know, 38, 36 minutes in, uh, as in, in my notes, as to that's when the title is essentially mentioned when, with the book. But aside from that, and aside from Hermione kind of saying, well, Harry, aren't you interested in finding out who it is? No one really dives into kind of why or who the Half-Blood Prince is, is just kind of, it's his book, and uh, the the Potions book, and I guess it kind of makes sense to an extent, because Snape, in the first five books, five films, is the Potions professor, uh, and then he ends up being the professor of the Dark Arts, which again, that, that position seems to be the cursed position uh, in the series is anytime that professor is put into that position, they don't last, uh, to the next episode essentially. And I'm guessing since Snape is now running with the rest of the death eaters that, you know, he's not going to be the professor of the dark arts in uh, deathly hallows. But I, the question that I, that I asked and I wrote down is, is Snape a spy? Because, you know, there's this idea, I, I guess, and it was kind of alluded to with, you know, Dumbledore saying, you know, trust, trust me to Harry. Uh, 
And that was another thing that was a kind of a theme, it seemed to me, throughout the film, was this idea of trust me. There was several times that several characters used that phrase, and right there near the end, Dumbledore tells Harry to trust him with how everything went down. And so I don't, like, I don't know if Snape is a spy. You know, again, like I said, I never seen the films, never read the books, so I don't know how Deathly Hallows ends. Um, but it just seems like it's being portrayed as Snape is kind of falling falling back into the Death Eaters just to be a spy, essentially, for Dumbledore. And this is some way to redeem himself in some ways for, for his past, I guess. I don't know. Maybe that's just me reading into what it seems like in the film. But it just, it kind of seemed like it came out of left field that you had developed Snape as a character for several films as kind of uh, being more reliable, being more trustworthy. And then all of a sudden it's immediately turned around that, you know, here he is, you know, working for Voldemort and essentially working to, you know, undermine everything that Dumbledore has done and, and everything like that. And so it just seems like it's kind of left field unless it's something like Dumbledore and Snape have this arrangement and working arrangement that, you know, no matter what happens, you know, do the right thing kind of thing. I, I don't know, but, uh, that was kind of, that was kind of a question that just kind of, through the course of the film, just couldn't really find a, find an answer to. And again, maybe that's something that get gets answered in Deathly Hallows. I don't know. But it just seems like it's kind of weird to be this late into the narrative, overarching narrative, and then quickly just kind of pivot to that. And the other thing is, is that how in the world do you, did Hogwarts allow... Draco to even come back to Hogwarts if his father was thrown into Azkaban was considered you know to be you know a foe to Dumbledore and Hogwarts and everything why in the world would they allow him to even go back to school like that that was kind of weird like that just that was something that didn't make sense to me as to why that that was the case like I understand it in the context of You've got to have him in there to do shenanigans and all that. But it just kind of seemed weird that Hogwarts would even just allow that. Like it would just kind of, it would make more sense if it was he was suspended or he was expelled and, you know, then having to work behind the scenes of like that. But yeah. In the, in the way that the narrative was told, it just kind of didn't make any sense to me. Um, I'll, I'll, I've kind of trashed on a lot of the film. I'll, I'll say some of the good things that I did enjoy about this film. I was glad there was no aunt, uncle, and cousin at the beginning. Uh, I have very much appreciate the films that don't have those characters in because they are super annoying and... It goes back again to this idea that, you know, why would Harry still be around that family? Um, so thankfully they weren't there. Uh, I did like 
the the Quidditch game, uh, and, and I like the fact that uh, Harry uh, essentially kind of tricked Ron into thinking that he had taken the luck potion uh, when he hadn't, and Ron ended up having the the great game. Um, again, the Quidditch rules don't make any sense to me, uh, but. Overall, it was it was it was fun to see Ron kind of have his moment in in the spotlight, and that was kind of cool. Also, I love Luna Lovegood. Like that character, it just cracks me up. Her her timing and deadpan humor just uh, I laugh so much every time that she's on screen and uh, and she's a part of the story. Like she just. She's just a very entertaining character, and it's too bad that uh, there wasn't more of her uh, in in previous stories. But I'm glad that she's kind of there because I think that she brings that kind of humor uh, that that's that's funny and but it's it's not always expected kind of humor. And so I thought that was kind of cool. Um, the one scene that really stood out to me the entire film. Uh, was on the staircase with Hermione and Harry and they're commiserating over unrequited love essentially and just the, just that scene where Hermione is just kind of pouring her heart out to Harry about Ron and uh, Harry talking about uh, Jenny uh, and and just that that scene it's 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 probably one of my favorites in the entire film series because it's just it's not fantastical it's not it's, it's not one that you would think that would be all that spectacular but just the way that it's acted and the the way that the the relationship that you've seen throughout the course of six films uh and six novels essentially that uh that narrative and that story just really resonates. And so I, I really, really thought that that was such a cool scene and, uh, definitely one that I would, I would say that is probably my favorite up to this point, just because of everything that the narrative has told and, and the characters and, uh, it's very much an earned, uh, spot, uh, in, in, when, when you get to that, emotional uh, resonance that that the characters had gotten to at that point I thought that really stood out to me and I really wanted to highlight that as kind of a a big time moment for me in the film uh, the ending um, like I mentioned earlier weird that they just shoehorn in oh Snape's the half-blood prince and that means what like that 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 was kind of a thing that didn't really make any sense. It's like, well, you you had this revelation that he's the half blood prince. Well, well, what does that mean? Um, it, it it kind of feels like it's just disconnected um, from Harry and Voldemort and, and that because you're building up essentially to that final battle again. Um, but what does Snape's role have to play in it? What does being the Half-Blood Prince have to play into it? I don't know. And I think that that kind of 
for someone that's just watching the films, it's kind of difficult to understand why this is important. Um, and it just feels like a, it almost feels like a unnecessary cliffhanger. Like there are times where it makes sense to have, you want a cliff, you want a cliffhanger, you want a good, uh, point to hang on to before you get to the finale. And I'm reminded of this because, uh, I just recently watched the empire strikes back again, uh, saw it in the theater, uh, as the theaters have opened back up. And I was reminded of how that film in, you know, that film ends in a cliffhanger because you get Luke being told that Vader's his father you have Han frozen in carbonite being sent off to Jabba the Hutt. And, you know, there's a cliffhanger there as to, okay, what's going to happen with the Empire and the Rebellion? What's going to happen with Han? You know, what's going to happen with, with that relationship with him and Leia? What's going to happen with uh, Vader and Luke and their, you know, the inevitable confrontation? Like, there, there were there were threads that were obviously set up for that cliffhanger to get to the end. I feel like with this film, it has unnecessary cliffhangers as in why do we need to know who the half blood prince is? Like what, what is the point of knowing that, that it's Snape and what, what the outcome is of that. Now, obviously the, the cliffhanger of you know Dumbledore's death that makes sense to have that death there uh, as kind of the setup for for the end, um, but the fact that you don't really have Voldemort really involved aside from his Death Eaters like he's not actively seen in the film or uh, aside from again Tom Riddle that that felt like a weird way to not have a cliffhanger there. It almost feels like in some ways, and I mentioned it in the previous uh, podcast or two episodes, that those films would have made more sense as the setup to the final book than this one, especially having seen this one. It really doesn't... This one, this story feels like it should have been number three or number four. It doesn't feel like it should be number six. Um, I, I definitely, especially after this point, now that may change once I see uh, Deathly Hallows. But just as of right now, it just feels like this is a weird story to be the penultimate story, uh, the penultimate episode. That 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 just feels like a weird way to set up the ending and maybe once I see Deathly Hallows it makes this chapter of the narrative make more sense it may not I don't know but overall I thought this was an okay film I didn't think it was I didn't think it was like too terribly horrible but I didn't really think it was it definitely wasn't very it it definitely wasn't good, but it wasn't, it wasn't horrible either, but it's just, it's just weird. I think that's probably the best way to describe this weird, uh, this film. 
weird and disjointed. But that's my thoughts of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. I'd love to know what your thoughts are. What did you think of this film? What did you think of the novel? Uh, is this like, uh, like my friend Marty has said uh, in, in speaking to him that this is his least favorite film? Uh, maybe you like this film. Maybe you understand some things that I don't understand about this. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this film. You can always email me, screennerdspodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at screennerdspod. And you can always send me a tweet over there and and let me know your thoughts about the film. Uh, Please share the the podcast, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. uh, Let people know what's going on uh, with this series and, and all the other ones, especially given that theaters... Uh, are opening back up now. Hopefully we'll get some new films once I finish up uh, with Deathly Hallows and and this series, go back to uh, doing more quick screens of uh, recent films uh, to to watch and to uh, give feedback on. So uh, be sure and share the podcast uh, and, and tweet it out, share it, Facebook, wherever your social media of choice is. Uh, and let people know, and let's help uh, build this community up uh, of film and TV lovers together and just share uh, in our joy and, and love of this medium. So, again, thanks for joining me, and hope to catch you on the next episode. Later.